0: Up in Louisville, I was into art, but I was discouraged from doing that kind of stuff. It just wasn't something that, as a child, that I was told that black males did. We built River City Drum Corps to connect children to arts and culture. Our culture is going to be our savior. If we tap back into their culture, you'll find out that's where the problem is at. We teach African drumming and drumline, but basically what we're talking about in the drum court is life skills. And here we are, 27 years later.
1: I myself to my creator. I pledge, I pledge myself to my creator. That I might come to be. That I might come to be. A harmony with the great purpose. In harmony with the great purpose. Intended for me. Intended for me. I pledge to my ancestors. I pledge, I pledge to my ancestors. Whose names I may not know. Whose, whose names I may not know. And respect for their great struggle. And respect for their great struggle. That I might struggle to grow. That I might struggle to grow. I pledge to my family. I pledge to my family. A oneness in my soul. A oneness in my soul. A healthy
0: mind. A healthy mind. A body strong. A body strong. Where their love might unfold. Where
2: their love might unfold. <laughs> uh, Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are joined in the studio uh, today um, with the 10 Uh, Time Emmy-winning filmmaker Marlon Johnson And award-winning San Francisco filmmaker Anne is going to have to tell me how to pronounce her last name Because I'm not quite certain how to do it Um, And Albert uh, Shoemaker, perhaps, Uh, who is principal in this film Did I say it correctly? Oh, super (laughs) Yes, you did Oh, awesome Hi, good morning And we're Uh, going to be talking about Rivers Oh, hey, Marlon I when I read like ten time Emmy winning filmmaker, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of Emmys. That's like everything you touch turns into an award, right? Award winning production. That's like awesome. <laughs> uh, thank
3: you. I, I'd like to hope so. Um I Great won't say that great for track a fact, record Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we try.
2: Yeah, and and River City drumbeat, um, wow, you know, the story of this wonderful um program that that you lead um albert now you came up in it and now you're you're in charge and the story of edward um white's 30-year run as the leader of this dynamic louisville kentucky um, river city drum corps i mean wow what a beautiful story and what a wonderful film it's like we don't hear good news often and it's so wonderful to have so much good news, and you all talk about that in the film how these kids are not like making front page news because they're not dying and they're not doing things that are uh that are you know against the law, but they're they're making you know this wonderful music and building character and friendships. This is so beautiful, and so anyway, thank you so much for joining us, and um perhaps we could um. To start with your uh, maybe telling us a little bit about the program, Um, Albert, do you want to start? Um, Because you came up in it. And then the directors, I'd love for you to tell us how you found out about the story.
4: Great. Um, I'll begin. Uh, Hello, I'm Albert Shumake here, and I am a resident of Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up here. And in the summer of 1992, Uh, My mother took me to the Boys and Girls Club, uh, the Parkland Boys and Girls Club, which is in in the Parkland neighborhood where I grew up. And I was introduced to the director of the Boys and Girls Club at that time. Um, Everybody called him Mr. Nardi, you know, short, dark-skinned man with dreadlocks that wore um, dashikis and African medallions. And at the Boys and Girls Club, you know, he was – trying to fight what was going on in the neighborhood and in the city. Um, You know, this split amongst the youth, those of a lot of which who were, you know, leaning into um, violence and pop culture. And, you know, then the other students who were, you know, chasing this dream of being an athlete and trying to um, make it out of the hood through sports and entertainment. So what Mr. White wanted to do was balance the type of programming that was being brought to the Boys and Girls Club. And since he had been introduced to this, um, I guess, Pan-African set of values, um, he kept us inundated with artists and people of the culture to introduce us to um, some of these African principles and this knowledge of self that comes with um, learning about the past so it can you know, inform your future. And so during that summer, we did a workshop with a drum maker from Baltimore, Maryland. His name is Ballet McKnight, and he taught us a modification of a traditional African drum um, where they would normally take, you know, the trunk of the tree or a very strong branch of the tree and hollow it out into the shape of a drum and stretch uh, goat hide over top of the the opening to create this drum. He showed us how to make drums out of uh, PVC pipe and cowhide and iron rings. And so that summer, um, we got a, a lesson in drum making. And after we made those drums, what has now grown into the River City Drum Corps started right that, that summer. Where we made a set of drums and started, you know, mimicking African rhythms and um, playing drums for some of the dance troops in our neighborhood and in the city turned into Mr. White finding an artistic director and somebody to help us create the music and somebody to, you know, work with us young men as we were developing our musical skills. Um, Mr. White was working with us on our academics and our, you know, all the soft skills that come into your everyday life, you know, yes, ma'am, no ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, um, you know respect of elders protocol, how to run a business you know he thought he taught us all those things through um what he calls the the spirit of the drum hmm.
2: wow yeah and and, 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 so, and so now, and now <laughs>
4: you know we are I'm sorry, we're thirty years into our existence, mm-hmm. um me being um, one of the first students to stick through the program um graduate from the program, go off to college, you get a degree. And um, I, that started a whole chain of students who have since then come after me through this program. And Mr. White has made it his, li- made it his life's work to connect students in our, in our city in our neighborhood to the resources that will allow them to be successful. And that changed my life and changed so many other students' lives. And so when he asked me to come and continue this work, um, I felt it a calling and a duty, you know, great opportunity to come back and continue the work that he
2: started. hmm Right, right. And and you're you're a father yourself. You have a beautiful daughter that uh, is one of the uh, stars of the of the film, and, and you you know you have a mother, you know, that you take care of. Uh, you're really busy, and then you are, you're also a DJ.
4: You know, I was told when I was, you know, 10 years old that if I wanted to be an artist, I could be an artist. And, you know, I just, I stuck to the script and followed my heart. And, you know, being a father is the, I guess, the greatest joy that I have as a as a human, being able to see my child and pour into her and, you know, hopefully improve on the design that I am so she's better and can go further, you know. That's that's my goal, and you know, none of that would have been possible without you know my mother instilling those values in me, and um, people from the community helping to reinforce those things.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about mothers, um, I was wondering if we could maybe play this clip um, about the heartbeat because I think that's really beautiful. Um, and then, and then directors, you'll be able to. Um, to join in, how how was that? Yeah, that sounds great. great. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then also, I want to give you an opportunity to um to talk about Zambia and Kruma because she's really central to the story as well. Um,
4: yes, indeed, absolutely.
2: Okay.
0: We're gonna have fun today. All right. First of all, how is everybody?
5: Good.
0: Now tell me what's good about
5: it. Everything. 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 It again, it's
4: the beat. A you got the beat, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a drum roll, Mr. White. Now, everybody raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand. Right now, hand. right, right hand. hand. Now, stop, Mr. White. Everybody place your hand over your heart. If you get really quiet and really still and listen very closely you can feel something beating in your chest. Anybody feel that? Everybody is a drummer because we all come from our mother. And if you listen close to when you're a baby, the first sound that you hear is the sound of your mother's heartbeat. So we are born into the world with this sound.
2: That's really beautiful. So um so Marlon uh, Johnson, you, as we mentioned, ten yes. time Emmy Award winning producer and director. You worked on award winning documentary films exploring music and cultural issues like Symphony and D, twenty seventeen, Emmy winning Sunday's Best, two thousand ten, and Coconut Grove A Sense of Place, two thousand five. The Ford Foundation commissioned you to direct the documentary Breaking the Silence in 2006, which chronicled the rise of HIV infection in the black American South. Um, You served as head of production and senior producer editor for Plum TV and helped create Tele-America Broadcasting Network. Uh, Your documentary, Deep City, Birth of the Miami Sound, uh, South by Southwest, 2014, aired nationwide on PBS. And you have a BS in communications from the University of Miami. And director Anne, how do you pronounce your last name, Anne? It's Plate. Plate is an award-winning filmmaker whose work highlights stories about music and community. Uh, You're a director and producer of Symphony for Nature, PBS 2018, the web series Music Makes a City Now, YouTube, PBS i and producer of Serenade for Haiti, world premiere, Doc New York City, 2016. You co-produced and edited Music Makes a City in 2010 and the TV version for Broadcast PBS, 2014. Your editing credits including include Monumento, David Brower's Fight for Wild America, 2004, What Do You Believe, 2003, Daughters and Sons, 2005, and Devil's Tea 2005. You have an MA in Documentary Film from Stanford. That's a great program <laughs> where you directed the award winning shorts, in, Enter Love, Story, and Body of Transition. And you have a BA in Middle Eastern Studies from UC Berkeley. And I, I, I actually was in that department when I was at UC Berkeley. So, anyway, I didn't oh, finish really? in that department. But yeah. Oh, we got to oh, talk. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's been a minute, though, like in the 70s. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, um, Anne, why don't you start, since you're we're talking now, why don't you talk about the yeah. film and Marlon and your relationship, and then you've got this producer, Owsley Brown, who is indigenous to Louisville.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Sure. Well, um, as you can hear from our bios, and first of all, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. This is a real honor. Um, thank you. And, uh, you know, as you can see from me and Marlon's bios, we we have like parallel paths, in a way, um, working on so many documentaries about music and community and culture over the last 20 years, but separately. And then we had both been working in Louisville on different projects. And our third producer, Owsley Brown, um, who was born in Louisville, uh, was the one who introduced us to the drum corps. Um, And the three of us, you know, when we each met the drum corps and especially Mr. White at the beginning, you know, several years ago, um, we were so compelled by his, his story and the story of the drum corps that we knew that this film had to be made. And then what happened was that Mr. White said, you know what, this is my last year. And um, so if you're going to make this film, you better do it now. <laughs> and so so we all got into gear. Marlon, Marlon lives in Miami. I live in San Francisco. And, um, you know, we, I had been there many times. And Marlon came out and spent a full week with Mr. White and Albert to sort of meet them and decide – um, how he wanted to proceed. And so Marlon, why don't you take it from there?
3: Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, that, that was a very important time. Um, you know, oftentimes when you start a film, um, both parties, both participants have to kind of have a mutual agreement that it will be something that it's worth investing in um, for years to come. And uh, we were afforded that opportunity. Like Ann said, I was given, um, kind of a week to come out and just film and just talk to Albert and just talk to Mr. White and see if, um, there was the kind of energy that could create something special and pretty immediately. Um, I think we all thought that this was something worth, um, producing. Um, you know, literally the first day I, I, I met Mr. Albert and uh, Mr. White. Um, we sat in the lounge of a hotel and, uh, just talked as men as, uh, you know, black men in America, as, uh, fathers, as artists. And there was so much cross-sectioning that, uh, we knew that it would be something special if we could pull this off. So, um, we proceeded from there and, uh, and, uh, created some magic. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, how long did it take for you to to make the film? How long were you there? Because it looks like your daughter gets older, Albert. I'm um, watching her. Like it looks like she, yeah, like significantly. I mean, she's like having a conversation. You're asking her, Charlie. What are you all having breakfast? And um and she's like bigger <laughs> than when I last saw her. And I'm like,
5: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: we, yeah. I, what, we, what was the question we, you asked her? And she because she responded, um and then you understood part of it. Um I can't remember. Was it something about the leaf or the bird?
4: Yeah, we were sitting on the on the living room or my front room, just watching the, the tree outside of my house, and she okay. was pointing to something. I, I didn't know she was talking to you know uh, the birds or the leaves or whatever. But you know now we have full out conversations.
5: It's a whole <laughs> another
4: ball game. So I'm, she's almost five. She read a book to me on Father's Day, so that's how fast it's going.
6: Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. We, we started filming about four years ago, Wanda. Oh, um okay. when Ella was <laughs> less than a year, yeah. And um and 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 then we finished filming about eighteen months later. So she really does mm. grow up during that <laughs> time. And uh yeah, the question was what do you dream about? Right. Mm, do you have any dreams? Okay. Uh that was another <laughs> thing in that scene. I love that scene. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, and then and then talking about the leaves too, which and is the so leaves, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. And um and so Ella couldn't talk at the beginning because she was just a baby on Albert's shoulders. You can see her in one of the scenes just on his shoulders. And then towards the end of filming, she began to make words. It was really beautiful to see. Um, mm-hmm. So and then we edited for about two years. <laughs> so. Oh, seriously? Wow. Yes, these yeah, these films like yeah. years to make.
2: Yeah, like 3 years to make. Yeah. Wow, what we a project. You must Yeah. Yeah. During. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh, we're so films do take a
6: long long time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so um this uh coming month August, um people will be able to um uh to to watch the um the film online uh, is opening at the Vir- Roxy Virtual Cinema in San Francisco for a two-week run, um, yeah. August seventh through twenty-first, which is really exciting. Um, and has it has it already screened um, in Louisville? Well, we were um, planning.
4: Yeah, you can go ahead, Anne.
6: No, no, you go ahead because you're in Louisville, so you can
4: explain. Yeah. Well, we were go planning ahead. for for our. Um citywide screening to happen on March 16th, and due to COVID-19, we have since started to pivot and try to plan around that. Um, in that time, though, we have done a screening for the families of the River City Drum Corps, all of the students in the who were yes. um, in, involved in the film, so they we've had an opportunity for us all to screen, and after that screening, we did a, a town hall discussion with all of the mm. families and the principal characters and the staff mm. to talk about um, the impact of the film, how they felt about it, and uh, next steps, which we are seeing roll out right now.
2: Okay. So so share some of that with us. What were the impressions and and what's rolling out now in the next step? Part? Well, you know,
4: <laughs> um, when you think of impressions, you think – Just as you observe, you get to see my daughter grow from not being able to really talk to forming her own thoughts and sentences. So we have kids in the program who were in middle school when the film started to be filmed, and now they're in high school, going into their junior year. Some, uh, you know, some getting ready for college and graduation. Um, You have kids who have moved up in the ensemble, so to get to for them to see themselves. Um, and their performance abilities grow to see their their voices and, you know, their stature uh, grow and develop. It was um, really exciting for them to actually see it on, on screen. They, they weren't as necessarily as involved with Anne and Marlon and um, the film company as myself and Mr. White and a few other principals were. So they get to see all of the work and what, actually came of Marlon and his crew being around us, you know, for 18 months because they became very much like part of the family. And so they think, and they got to see, you know, these moments that re- they remember for the performance and the things that went on um, in these theaters. And now they can connect the dots and say, oh, I was actually there. So it was a lot of excitement for them. Um, you know, a lot of the parents get to see kind of the work and the story that goes into each one of these individual kids told um, through myself and Jalen and Imani and Emily. You know, we are just um, a a very small sample base of, of the people that this, that the organization has affected and the work that it does for us. But um, you know, all the kids get a very similar, you know, dose of the same medicine. So for their parents to be able to see their children's story told on, on screen is was a very uh, rewarding thing for for us and for them. And more
3: to that point, Albert, uh, not to cut you off, because uh, I remember you saying how powerful it was that um, they got to contextualize the the institution, meaning. Uh, you know, they had only heard about Miss Zambia, uh, and they had only heard about the history, and to be able to kind of see it live and, 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 and in person uh, was very powerful for them. Um, and so I think that's really important that they you know, not only got to hear it from you guys for so many years, but actually got to see it uh, produced was something that uh, was a, a big takeaway uh, uh, for those kids who hadn't
2: lived it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you all and, make and, just, um, uh, local yeah. coverage? Um, no, go ahead. Um,
6: and oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say another thing that people said, um, you know, when they saw, and we, we also did have a screening, a private screening, right before it went to like the festivals, you know, for mm-hmm. the main cool. principles yeah. in the film way back you know many months ago way before COVID um, and that was really meaningful and you know people stood up afterwards and just almost like you know just said how much the film meant to them uh, to see the, this Louisville story presented you know on screen and um And especially to see how vulnerable Mr. White was in the film um, and Mm -hmm. emotional. That was talked about a lot because, you know, as a leader, a lot of times people don't see that side of their leader, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And that meant a lot to people um, to see how open he was in the film. Mm -hmm. Oh and then I also wanted to add that it also will be screening virtually in Louisville at the same time as the Roxy here in San Francisco. Oh, um nice. so that's kinda nice. So it's gonna be in like several independent cinemas streaming virtually like that. So one of the mm-hmm. cities is Louisville. So we're excited about that.
2: hmm Right. Certainly, certainly. And and we um we sort of skipped over it, but I wanna come back to um, you know, speaking about um um uh Ms um Mrs uh, Zambia Nkrumah, um who was who yeah. like the inspiration, you know, to Mr. White. But, yeah, so I wanna wanna give you give give her some space in, in the conversation. So go ahead. Um Albert, you can start.
4: You know, um I was in the in the fourth grade and I was the kid who was always walking around doing arts and crafts, you know, braiding string, making friendship bracelets or keychains. And I was the class clown for the most part, you know, if I wasn't if I was sitting in the back of the class holding court, I got all the attention. And Ms. Zambia was coming to the Boys and Girls Club as a volunteer. Um her story is she went to she went to the University of Kentucky and when she was getting her degree in education, she got very much involved in the in the movement during that time. So she changed her name she um you know was working as a civil rights worker she went to florida and worked with the black panthers for a little while and so she had you know her world view was much different than a lot of people who came out of of our neighborhood and she made it a point to expose all of us to the influences and the things that she had been able to pick up so When she was at the club volunteering, you know, she was always wearing her African clothes. She always smelled like, um, you know, a combination of incense and fragrances and oils where you knew she was there before you ever saw her. And, you know, she could talk to anybody, you know. She had a way with the young women to where they were able to, you know, open themselves up and be more creative and, you know, understand what their womanhood was, and for us guys, she helped to you know make it easy for us to be sensitive and artistic and creative, and um, she was doing that just as a volunteer in the Boys and Girls Club. Now during this time, um, her and Mister White developed a friendship, started working together, you know, as a in in an official capacity as as partners. They they started a a nonprofit called Afamba, and they brought cultural programming to the to the neighborhood when Mr. White left the Boys and Girls Club. And about the time I was I graduated from elementary school to go to middle school, um, her mother was a school teacher at the school that that I was graduating from. And on the last day of school, um, I was literally running through the hallways. And no more teachers, no more, no more classrooms, no more books, no more teachers, dirty looks, you know. Running through the hallway and she snatched me up and she said, um, you need to get your act together. Where are you going to middle school next year? And I told her that I was going to Westport Middle School, which is the school that uh Zambia was teaching at. And she said, I'm gonna make sure that I sick my daughter on you next year when you get to middle school. And that turned into, you know, that summer, Miss Zambia volunteered around the Boys and Girls Club. And then when I was bused out to Westport Middle School, which is, you know, a forty-minute ride, forty-minute bus ride from my neighborhood to the school,
5: mm-hmm.
4: that first year we got we got really close. Where I would stay after and help Miss Zambia clean her classroom, you know, grade papers, wipe her board down, things like that. And she became an advocate for me. So, even though I was still, you know, to 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 the other teachers in the school, this troublemaker who was going to cause a disruption and take all the attention in the classroom, she knew that that was untapped potential for me. And so she started to mold that. So she was an advocate for me um, from the seventh grade on, where she went to the to the middle school choir director and petitioned for me to be able to join the chorus because I had already developed a reputation as somebody that was going to disrupt. And, hmm. you know, from her taking that, her time to make sure that I was served in the school system, that turn, that, that was an investment that is still paying off today. So she became like a, a godmother to me. And, you know, I found out later that she had done that for so many other, other students who were now professionals and educators, and you know, big deals all over the country. And you know, her philosophy was that you give as much as you can, even when you don't want to, because you never know um, what that gift is going to do for the recipient. And she talks about, you know, just being open and using the relationships that you have to better the people around you. And you know, I'm a, I'm a witness. She did the same thing for my sister. She did the same thing for countless other kids who came out of the program, and that's the kind of woman she was.
2: Mm, Wow, wow. Yeah, because at the – was it an an awards or honor uh, awards program fundraiser where we got a chance to see um, some footage from previous um, events Mm -hmm. in, in your film? Yes. That was yeah. at the
4: um, 15th anniversary of the Drunk okay. War, and um,
2: mm-hmm.
4: so my sister and another graduate of the program, my sister is Brandy Shoemaker, and another graduate, Eric Burse. um, Mr. White always put students in the place to lead those type of things, and they put on that program, and it was a, you know, an awards banquet to thank Zambia and Mr. White for their service, they got a, a stipend and a vacation, but when she gave her keynote, she talked about, you know, the work that she does and why she does the work. You know, we all have um, time to give just like, you know, the postman or the banker or the grocery store worker. We all have time. And if we give it in the right way, then we can make a difference. And I think that I know that this that's what this film really, really speaks to at, at the core of it, you know, mentorship and taking time to uh, impart back into um, the people that we have the opportunity to serve.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. I have a clip I want to play um, where uh, Mr. White talks about, you know, not having someone um, to invest in him um, when he mm-hmm. was a child. So that he couldn't be an artist, because like you know, black boys, no, you can't, you can't be an artist.
6: And because he talks
2: in the film about how he would be in an art class, and and every time he, you know, started doing some work, somebody would snatch <laughs> him out and throw him on a court, you know. <laughs> but uh, but he noticed you, and he said, no, nah, he's, you know, not going to be a basketball player or whatever. And and you know, he and his wife were able to sort of. Um, run interference for you so that you could do those things that you were really interested in which is really a blessing so I'm going to put yeah. clip okay.
3: okay
0: growing up in Louisville I was into art but I was discouraged from doing that kind of stuff it just wasn't something that as a child that I was told that black males did We built River City Drum Corps to connect children to arts and culture. Our culture is going to be our savior. If we tap back into their culture, you'll find out that's where the problem is at. We teach African drumming and drumline, but basically what we're talking about in the drum corps is life skills. And here we are. Twenty seven years later.
1: I pledge myself to my creator. I pledge myself to my creator. That I might come to be. That I might come to be. A harmony with the great purpose. In harmony with the great purpose. Intended for me. Intended for me. I pledge to my ancestors. I pledge to my ancestors. Whose names I may not know, whose names I may not know. in respect for their great struggle. And respect for their great struggle. That I might struggle to grow. That I might struggle to grow. I pledge to my family. I pledge to my family. A oneness in my soul, a oneness in my soul, a healthy mind, a healthy mind, a body strong, a body strong, where their
0: love might unfold. Where their love might unfold.
2: Yeah, that that pledge really won me over. <laughs> who um, who are who who wrote it? All the pledges, <laughs> the one to to the to the planet, you know, the run to the ancestors. I'm like, whoa, this is really awesome.
6: Yeah, that is all one pledge. That's the drum corps pledge. Oh. Um, okay. And it's written by, I want to, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. It's Ramu. Dr. Umar. Umar. Yeah,
4: it's, yeah. Dr. Umar. Dr. Umar, Dr. Umar Williams. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that was written back in the 90s. There was a, an influx of, you know, arts groups who worked with um, with young people in, in the inner city, um, so not only was Mr. White doing the drum corps at the Boys and Girls Club, but there was the Lenina Rocknet School of Dance, and there was
5: another dance
4: company that was in um, in another community. And through the work that Mr. White and Ms. Zambia and some other cultural leaders in the city were doing, they, they commissioned him to write that.
3: Yeah, and as, as storytellers and as filmmakers, you know, when I first was introduced to The Pledge, It was strikingly both familiar and unfamiliar at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And I knew instinctually that it would be a great through line uh, and and metaphor for the film. And and, and if you remember, we used it kind of three times uh,
5: Mm -hmm. in
3: the film uh, in different spaces, and it really uh, kind of – it becomes illuminated in different ways throughout the storytelling. And so by the end, the phrase you heard in the beginning has a different resonance um, because of what you've experienced. And so it's very, very powerful as a storyteller to, to include that.
2: Right, right. And, and similarly, um, you know, with the pledge, you also um, sort of reinforce place um, you know, in the cinematography in a way that brings us back <laughs> um yeah. you know, to center. And I'm thinking about and also the, the music helps us uh follow these these re- reminders like the river is so much a part of this film and it's just like so tranquil and so beautiful and I'm like, Oh, it even looks Clean, it doesn't even look polluted, like I hope it really is clean, <laughs> and it's so beautiful and then and then you have like the sunsets and you have and you have this like solo piano score, and it's such a contrast to the lively you know all enveloping drumming, yeah. it's like, yes. oh, the yeah. drumming is so hot and i and I was really happy in the end, it was like, oh, people are dancing, that's so cool that I can get up from my computer <laughs> yeah. and dance too.
6: Uh, <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, well, you know, we, mm-hmm. we should definitely um, call out the Quincy Griffin, who is a local yeah. composer here, um, you know, in the East Bay, um, oh. who, who wrote all that music, the, uh, the score mm-hmm. of the film that mm-hmm. is not the drumming. All of that was yeah. created by um, C. Quincy Griffin, who has some um, beautiful scores for many films, and he's, he's a real mm-hmm. local treasure um, so mm. thank you for saying that. And and it was he just had a beautiful relationship with the film that was a pleasure to watch him create this music um, to go along with these scenes.
2: Mm. Oh wow! I know I know Quincy's work. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I know okay. Oh my yeah. Yeah, um and I, I know these films quite a few of them. Daughter from uh, Danang and
6: yeah yeah wonderful. wonderful, the Barbara
5: Birmingham yeah wow yeah we were
6: so (laughs) excited um, to work with him you know Mm -hmm. and and, yeah Yeah. so that's 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 him (laughs) Mm -hmm. shout out yeah and then
2: yeah maybe you could talk a little bit about about some of these the beautiful cinematography because you know you have like the sunset and and you know the big you know, or you know, going down, or it could be coming up because I wasn't quite certain what direction it was going in. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it was just yeah. like so beautiful, and the water is just so calm. And and similarly, you know, we go to the artist studio, and you could tell me his name, and and he's a sculptor, and he and, and yeah. so you could look around, I I think Albert, I think you're in that scene as well, and you're talking about how these these pieces, you you know, the artist is alive. <laughs> Like, you know, his Lincoln mm-hmm. is there sitting on a bench looking at the water, and then and then you look down and there's some African people coming in, you know, as enslaved people. And it's all in the same um, narrative, you know, like you see it as you're sitting there, right? And then I thought yeah. about, you know, the whole thing now with with sort of, um, you know, sort of looking at, you know, our public monuments and, and memorials and what we want to keep and what we want to like put in a museum or remove because the message is um is not a positive one and and why do we have statues of people that are that are, you know, villains, you know, and criminals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought about that too and how how that sort of gives your film uh a current resonance as well. Like, ah, there's Lincoln. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. there are you know, our our ancestors. So anyway, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the cinematography and about the artist? You can tell us tell us his name because that's really really beautiful and the whole idea of, of art for social change and art as a vehicle. Like these children are they're they're um, they're able to talk, you know, through their their music. You know, they're given ways to express, you know, what they're feeling, um, which is what art does so well. So it's really really wonderful that, you know, when you when you talk Albert in the film about about the community, and and Mr. White talks about how things have changed. Like the Louisville he grew up in is not the one you're growing up in, or you grew up in, I should say. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I,
4: I, I, will, I think Marlon, you can talk. You, you and Ann can talk about the center of photography and all that, and I'll talk about Ed. Yeah,
3: so, uh, yeah, the cinematography, you know, shout out to Juan Castaneda and John uh, Anderson Beavers, they were our cinematographers, and uh, pretty early on, I think Ann and I decided, you know, we're we're big on aesthetics, and a lot of mm-hmm. times in documentaries, um, <clears throat> the aesthetics kind of get overlooked, meaning that, you know, we are here to provide information, uh about a particular story, but there's also kind of a visceral, emotional experience that we also want to tell. And we wanted to make this story as uh, eloquent and as cinematic as any fictional piece. And hopefully, by your description, we've come across and achieved that, you know, you know, we can we can tell this story, we can have this information, but also have a very emotional, immersive uh, experience that can come across visually, and we like to think that that was achieved through mm-hmm. the cinematography. Um, and, yes?
6: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, both. I mean, uh, it's, it's, so everything that Marlon is saying is something we talked about quite a bit. Like a lot of our Absolutely. influences are actually from fiction films, you know, like like we love films. We talk about them all the time. And, and we had very specific ideas about shots we wanted in the film and the way it should be. And And, you know, you will notice like there's no text in the film except at the very beginning. You know, there's no like it's all just a journey, you know, and the imagery of the river, which you already talked about, um, Wanda, like that was all very intentional.
5: Mm-hmm. And,
6: um, and, you know, we were very lucky to be working with these really talented cinematographers. And I'll just say something else about that, which is that our crew was very small. It was like, you know, it was yeah. never more than four people like me, Marlon cinematographer, and sound person and sometimes less than that, you know. So that was also part of getting the um, emotional, um, you know, depth to the story is just, like, really being there and being present. Um, And it was just a joy to work on it, you know, with with everybody. Yeah, and and to that point, uh, to more to
3: that point, and we also, we were trying to be, as patient as possible as storytellers. Um, And so what that meant was not always just showing up and starting the film and, you know, getting what we could, but actually uh, taking our time and giving ourselves and the participants space to have the story kind of develop uh, for us and in front of us rather than forcing it. And that takes a certain skill and – Uh, A certain level of patience that both Anne and I uh, have as
6: storytellers. I I also want to say that the 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 concept of telling the history of Louisville through art was really important to us. Actually, you know, you bring up Ed Hamilton is the name of the sculptor who is really again like a, a. he's a national treasure who, who lives in Louisville, who is a sculptor of public monuments, um, mainly, you know, about the African-American experience. And he works, you know, he, he has a lot of works all around the country, but he, he does have this monument in Louisville, the Lincoln Memorial. And, um, and we early on, like really early decided that any, storytelling about the history of Louisville would be through either the participants or art and not like kind of just like in a sort of more typical way. Um, and that's where that scene came from. That's why, you know, Ed Hamilton, he, he was like a mentor to Mr. White and also a mentor to, to Albert Shumake, And so it was very important that, that he be part of the film and then it just kind of flowed into this history of Louisville, which he so eloquently um, did in his sculpture. Yeah. So, no, Albert, do you want to talk about the scene in Mr. Hamilton's studio, which is such a amazing scene?
4: You know, that the scene in, in Mr. Hamilton's studio is, it was like deja vu uh, for me
5: mm.
4: because one day – one day we would, I mean, literally, Mr. White and I were riding through the East End, and he said, I'm going to pull over here and take you somewhere real quick, so check this out. And we pull up to Ed Hamilton's studio, which is very unassuming. It just has it has Ed Hamilton's studio above it, but it looks like a, a garage or a warehouse or something of that nature, and we knock on the door and the same jacket, the same smock that Ed Hamilton was wearing in, in the film is what he was wearing, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, same, um, you know, just more paint, paint marks and more, more clay spots on it. So um, he brought me inside and he was working on the, the Amistad um, piece that is in, that is in DC, I believe. Um, And, it was in his clay form. He hadn't dropped it to be to be uh, for the mold yet. And he said, "Here, I want you to spray this while I while I knock some of this clay off of here while I work on this um, this sculpture." And you know that's what Mr. White did. They graduated from the same high school. Mr. White always wanted to introduce us to um, artists and people who were actually living um, their dreams, so we could see it as a possibility. And you know, we got to go in the studio, and I, I got to hear so much of Ed Hamilton's story that, you know, I didn't know at that point. But from that first moment, he had he had the doors of his studio open. So, you know, periodically I will take Ella down there, and we'll just pop up, and he'll let her do the same thing he did for me. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of guy he is, you know, a world-renowned artist whose doors are still open. To, to those of us who are coming to seek him out, I just saw him last week as I was riding my bike, I rode past, and he was outside of his studio
2: <laughs> wow that's that's what you call community there that's mm-hmm. pretty awesome
4: <laughs> yes
2: yeah. yeah 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 he was he was speaking in metaphors, um you know in that particular scene, um when he was talking about just sort of sharing. You know the material culture of 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 sculpting you know um you know with some of the young people that you know have come through his studio over the years, and uh yeah, that was really really beautiful um well, you all have given me a whole lot of time, so I have a couple of more um questions areas I like for you to touch on uh, one is around um the whole idea of competition and discipline and um and the importance of education and, and also I really love the way um young people like really little, you know, all the way up were given like leadership um positions and I really um wanna share uh Imani's uh story because um there there are girls, you know, um in traditional uh African societies a lot of times people think girls and women don't drum, right? But not um Not uh, in your um, (laughs) uh, River City Drum Corps. You know, girls are right there. You know, with the boys. So anyway, I'm gonna play this clip real quickly.
1: When I first came to River City Drum Corps, I was having trouble finding myself. My sixth grade year was kind of weird. It was rocky. It was
2: unstable. I was in the principal's office all the (laughs) time.
1: Mr. White always instilled in me leadership. Who are you going to be? You need to step up.
2: Interesting, though, being a female drummer, people are always kind of like, what, you can really do that? You can really be on beat? Like, no, you can't. I'm just like, yeah, I can.
1: Yeah, I drum, so what? (laughs) Yeah,
2: I drum, so what? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, I'm
5: going
3: to put that on a (laughs) T-shirt. Right. The question you Let asked. Let me know.
2: I'll my... buy one. I like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, I drum to what? Girl power. Mm-hmm. You know, um, That's
5: right.
4: when you think about competition, you know, we push our students to, you know, compete against each other and, you know, to set goals for themselves so that they can, you know, reach things that they didn't know that they could achieve. And we try to help them to understand that the world that they are trying to enter is going to have very high standards for them, and the standards have already been set. And just the way the, you know, imbalances and inequities are in society, a lot of times the students that come from from my neighborhood, whether you want to call it the inner city or the ghetto, um, already have the deck. Uh, Stacks against them, you know, where our students, we are trying to uh, equal or, you know, level the playing field, so to say, so that the students that they will be going up against for college scholarships or, you know, for first chair in whatever musical ensemble or for whatever job, that they will have had someone to um, show them what it takes to be competitive. But we do that through a very community-minded, you know, community-focused type of way. So when you see the younger students in our program with the leadership roles, that goes back to the way that Mr. White set the program up. He uh, opened his door to all of us as we were young men and showed us how he did all of the business, from the paying of the bills and the financial documentation and the record-keeping and the you know, the conversation. So from day one, when we had a performance, he would connect whoever the person is that was booking us, as talent, to us as students, and we did the, we took care of all of the business, and we just, you know, crossed our T's and dotted our I's through Mr. White. And so he, he was teaching down to us so that we could continue that model. So now, the students that come through our program and make it into high school, they become instructors and they get jobs during the summer to work in community centers and in these programs that we, you know, provide all throughout the city and the younger kids get to tag along. And at a certain point, those students also become the leadership in the ensembles. And so the high school kids end up, being the instructors or the you know assistant instructors for the elementary school beginners which whether or not a, a, a student is going to go into uh, music education or into performance or into corporate america or education whatever they choose to go into they will have these skills okay. that will allow them to be um at par with everyone else who's already coming in with experience or whatever advantages they have, we equally balance those advantages.
5: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it seems as um, it's almost like a rite of passage. Um, I I remember in the film when uh, everyone has to make a drum, Um, you know, one of those um, uh, looks like sort of like the – I, I don't remember what. Oh, the sabar. It looks like the sabar drum out of um, <clears throat> out of Senegal. Mm-hmm, the way they're shaped. Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah.
2: And and um, and it's just sort of like you know with the skin stretching it across you know the cylinder you know in you know which sort of standing in for for the log, and and then they and then they they move on up into the <clears throat> the other 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 uh parts other kinds of drums and then i noticed that um some of some of the uh members of of the uh, core are playing cymbals and i was wondering is that a, is that a stage in the development and then and then they they could choose a gun, uh, to uh to play the drum or and then also i noticed that you play um the vibes and the children play the vibes and so anyway, it's just it's like other types of percussion instruments <laughs> that are a part yes, so, of, of the ensemble. So you, speak
4: of, you speak of a rite of passage, and so that is mm-hmm. really what it is. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
4: If you read, the, you read the book Roots, you, you've heard about mm-hmm. a rite of passage, seen the movie, or seen any mm-hmm. any type of movie that deals with African traditions. So we, Mr. White was, you know, very intense and um direct mm-hmm. about putting those um those type of i guess you could say stages into our program he, that was his intent on the that's the foundation of what we do so um when we learned to make the drums it was so that we could then go back and teach it so now um as we are 30 years in the game some of us we say well you can't get to where i am now if you don't start where i started So we teach all of the kids the same thing. And as a kid makes that drum, you start off with one drum and the next year you can make another one. And as your skills grow, the more of an arsenal you get. I started with one big bass drum and a beat up bell and ended up, you know, playing all these other instruments And that just comes from following the rite of passage in the Mm -hmm. drum line that's a more traditional um, HBCU collegiate style of marching principle. And, and, and so that when, when you go to a band camp, all the freshmen start out on the, you know, very basic instruments uh, for the most part. So we treat all of the kids who come into the program as if they were freshmen. If you, if you big enough to hold a symbol, then you learn to keep the time with that symbol. And while you are learning, the rhythms on the cymbal and learning to stand and follow the instructions, you hear all of the other parts that are more advanced and more diverse. And as you grow in stature and strength to carry the other instruments and skill set based off of how much time you put into practicing, a kid could be on cymbals for a year or a kid could be on cymbals for four years, just depending on how much energy, time, and talent go into that, that individual student. And you know we we definitely try to help pull kids along because now as older kids grow up and leave, we got to fill their spots. So the kids are always in a in a mode of trying to move up, trying to gain more skills and get to the next level. And we do have a symphonic ensemble, and that started I want to say ten years ago through through another uh, award and partnership that Mr. White had So. He brought in some college um, professors to teach, you know, some pretty basic standards of mallet percussion, and we created this uh, symphonic jazz ensemble, the percussion ensemble. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, um, you know, one of the opportunities that was presented to me was to study with a vibraphonist. Um, Mm -hmm. His name is Dick Sisto, and I studied with him for six months. I did lessons every other week. You know, I developed a practice regimen for me to learn, um, you know, the basics so that I could then teach it to the kids. And what turned out to, you know, I got another instrument under my belt in my arsenal, but now um, the kids, it it pushes me to practice because if I take, if I take a work on a song for three hours, they learn it in 45 minutes. So I have to work, you know, three times as hard just to feed their appetite, but I see so much growth in them just from from the example that I get to set and from their, you know, comp- intercompetitive nature amongst themselves to see who's going to have the most um, musical, most fundamentally sound, you know, most dynamic solo. And that's how they
2: work. <laughs> right, yeah. So um, I was wondering if um, uh, Ann or... Um Marlon, is there anything that um, you didn't get a chance to share about, um, you know, making this film and, you know, your hopes for it and any personal transformative experiences that you want to share with us that we didn't get a chance to talk about?
6: Marlon,
3: Um, you want to go? No, I think we we covered a lot. I think uh, um, for me, Personally, um, it was a great opportunity to really, um, you know, the challenge to the film is, you know, we don't have famous people in the film. It's not a historical film. It really is about uh, just uh, ordinary folks who are doing extraordinary work in a community that oftentimes gets looked over. And uh, I just feel blessed to have had the opportunity to expose it to the world because the work that Mr. shoemaker that Mr. White, that Zambia and so many like them are doing, have done, is as important as any work of anyone in any community. And, um, uh, you know, we we uh, feel graced to to give that to the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, going back to um, um, to the producer um, Owsley Brown. I was just thinking about his serenade for Haiti. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the seven-year study of Haiti over the years two thousand seven, two thousand fourteen. You know, told through the perspective of the students and teachers at Holy Trinity Music School in Port-au-Prince. And I've been to Haiti um, after the um, um earthquake. After the earthquake, yeah, a couple of times, Mm, and uh, Mm -hmm. and it's um you know not famous people, right? Um, so but Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, yeah, but it's an important story, and and it's beautiful, you know. (laughs) Similarly, you know, these are the the great stories about by famous people,
6: right? (laughs) Absolutely, that's right. I mean, like everyday life is extraordinary and and Mm -hmm. and super meaningful and we all have to make meaning out of life you know and it's just like these films do that they show people doing that every day you know and that's what's inspiring to me I think there's also something very special about music that connects everybody it connects us all you know Mm -hmm. And, and brings out the best in people so uh that's one of the reasons I think Marlon and I have both worked so much on music films. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk a lot longer, but I think this, I, one of my favorite quotes is Mr. White says the the film speaks for itself. (laughs) So I hope everybody sees the film, um, you know, at the Roxy, um, in August. And, uh, thank you so much for having us. This has been so such a great conversation.
2: Definitely. Oh yes, yeah,
6: been really lovely. Yeah, thank you so much,
2: and congratulations on on your wonderful film and and the great work that you are continuing, Albert. That's so wonderful. Your your name. When I call your name, I think about my great grandfather on my um. On my uh, paternal no. side. Um, no, yeah, my, my maternal, paternal side. And yes, yeah, so when I call his name, I think about my great grandfather. <laughs> that's, that's my nice. great grandfather's yeah.
4: name, too. So yes, thank you. Oh, you know.
5: really?
2: Okay. <laughs>
4: yes, I'm, I, I'm the fourth, <laughs> so my name has uh, been passed on. Oh, wow. wow. Um,
2: this is incredible. We cool. <laughs> call on our ancestors <laughs> right.
3: whenever we can.
2: Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I love I love all of the all of the rituals, you know, from the Kwanzaa to, you know, just listening to your heart, right? Like initially, you know, having the children find their heart and listen to it, you know, it's like that's really important and how, you know, that they start out in their mom's drum, right, inside the drum. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. that's really, yeah, I was like, wow, you know, and they can always go back to it because it helps them ground themselves. So it's like, wow, really, really beautiful. Yeah, you know,
4: it's great that that I have been able to understand the richness of my culture and my heritage. It's really has mm-hmm. shaped and molded me, and you know I think that it's best that I help to impart that into um, somebody else. And I've been given a great platform to do that as as the director of the drum corps, and I'm trying to. In Mister White's word, erase his memory, erase, erase him out of the memory of everybody else around here. They say I got big shoes to fill, so I want to take it to the next level and do just what he did, uh, even better.
2: hmm Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you know, you're young, so you got a long way to go. You got, you got a lot of time <laughs> to be able to like, you know, fill it out and do your thing the way you know, like expand it and make it grow, and then. You know, pass it on.
4: (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm going to do.
2: Yeah. So I thought we would uh, close out with um, the drum battle.
5: (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: really a nice, nice clip. And, yeah, I look forward to seeing the film again. And when we can travel, maybe I'll be able to come to Louisville and see your, um, you know, your group. You know, like live, like that would be really super. Because those parents and community that just support, you know, these young folks. I mean, they are like right there, you know, with with the uh, the children, which is really beautiful.
4: Yeah, we'd love for that. That's exciting to plan.
2: Mhm. <laughs> okay. Well, y'all take a care, and I'm gonna play this. You take a care for the rest. And thank you so much for the wonderful you conversation. Care. Thank
5: right. you thank so you. much. Really thank you.
2: It. You're welcome.
0: with the love and shaking hands and, you know, that's, that's what
1: it's all about. I like to gentle and rush, like knowing that you got to, like, play to your full potential. You got to, like, bring up the competition.
2: <laughs> so that is um, the uh, River City drum beat, and again, it is going to be opening uh, virtually at the Roxy Cinema August 7th through 21st, and wow, we are so excited, uh, Tamar is joining us, good morning, how are you? I am well, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I didn't know you were going to be joining me, so I was like, oh, this is so fabulous. <laughs>
7: oh, yeah, they told me to call in at one, and I mean, it has been crazy here, and I was like, oh, no, no, I got to get this call at one, I got to call, I got to call in, So, yeah, everything is Monday. Everything is a little topsy-turvy today.
2: Right, right. Yeah, because I was going to say, okay, well, we can do it at 2 because we hadn't confirmed, and I was like, I don't want to mess up your schedule because, you know, you're a busy woman. But um, I was um, thinking, why don't I play play the trailer uh, for They Ain't Ready For Me?, and then we could talk, you know, about this wonderful film and and um that's gonna be that is a part of the fortieth anniversary of the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival. Okay. Go ahead. You can have it. Right. Let's do it. Okay. All righty.
7: <laughs> Poverty and unemployment. And the conditions that we live in, it creates an environment right for non-violence.
3: Thirty-nine people were shot in Chicago over the Chicago weekend. police
6: have already seized more than five thousand. This guns. year
3: alone, more than twenty-one hundred people have been shot, more than four hundred killed. Ready to do this? Let's do this. I made it to the
6: top and I'm
7: never coming down. They wanted me to flop, but instead I run the town. Now wait, we occupy the corner of Seventy Fifth and Seward every single day. The idea behind it was, you tell me the bad areas where there are gang beats, I'll take these women and we'll set up and it'll stop everything from happening because nobody wants to shoot anybody's mother. How they
4: say it takes a village to raise a child, we're forming our village and our village is getting stronger and we're raising our kids to be productive.
7: I don't try to create this idea that 75th and Stewart is this utopic society because it, it's not. It's just how do you bring about some sort of order within the chaos? You gotta stop beating people up and shit, okay? Come here, come here. Let me tell you something. Do you promise? I promise? Like, do you like pinky swear? If you want my life is reduced to pinky swearing. Tonight is Passover. It's I'm a Jew and I'm black. Don't forget I'm really, really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> what if we were slaves in Egypt and we never came out? We got our freedom, but we never left Egypt. Who will we be right now? Will we be free? Really?
4: Well, predetermined
7: Okay. Gonna some fireworks.
0: Me, to pop
7: the Queen. This is not the church. I'm not a politician. I'm really honestly
2: just somebody's mother. And my
1: survival is more than what it means I'm a movement.
2: <laughs> yes, you are a movement and the film Wow, what a great story. I mean, I'm just loving all these great stories. Um, because we have so much bad news, right? And, it's, yeah, it's you know, so it's much. really wonderful mm-hmm. when we, when we, I mean, there's so many so many great things that are happening, but we don't hear about them because the bad news gets all the play. And yep. so, yeah, it's just so wonderful to hear about mothers or men against senseless killings, masks, and, and, you know, just pulling up a chair and having a seat on the block. Right. And so that, you know, people can come and. The children can play, and you feed mm-hmm. people. Historically, though, yeah. that's what we've always done. That's what black people do. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and, like, and,
7: and you know, people can't wrap their minds around that sometimes. That black people, when you were a kid, you couldn't go outside unless somebody was there to watch you. And mm-hmm. it's like other people are like, "What do you mean? You watch your kids do what? You watch them. Watch them do what? Are, what do are you? What do you mean? Watch them." It's such a foreign concept to other people because the way that black women and black men, black families reared our children used to be so different from the way that other people did it.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. We had a right. lot
7: more involvement from the entire family. So it was it, it's different. And so when people say, well, how did you know that, you know, sitting out there on that corner would work, that it would stop because I was raised to believe that it was going to work because it worked for me it worked in my life it worked in my children's life it worked in my mother's life so why won't it work on these kids now
2: right yeah yeah and um so tell us tell us about about you know growing up in chicago and and being um jewish because you mentioned that um what you're doing is so you're you know it's it's i don't i don't remember the name of it but it's it's a part of your faith it's it's what you he do chicago Say it again? Yes. Tikkun
7: Olam, repairing the world.
2: Right, -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. And it's something Mm -hmm. that's
7: incumbent upon every Jew to do. And I mean, I grew up like in the hood, the hood, but I went to school, I went to Jewish day school like on the other side of town. It was like a completely different Chicago. So I grew up in these very, in these two very different worlds. But I, I was just as much part of one as I was part of the other. So the same things that affect the other black people affected me. The same things that affected other Jews affected me. And so it took a while for me to be able to um, synthesize those two things inside of me and be okay with it and it not be confusing. Because when you're a kid, it's confusing for you. It, it's hard to do that. It's almost like having, like, you know, dual personalities or something. But when you get to an age where... It all makes sense. When you, have to, when you become a parent and you have to teach it to someone else, that's, or help someone else do it and adjust to it, that's when it starts to make the most sense to you. And the thing was, for me, I learned that I could use teaching from one of my faiths, from one of my communities, to help my other one. So I could use things that I learned in the black community to help the Jewish community. And I could, learn the, I, I could use things that I learned in the Jewish community to help the black community. So there were principles mm-hmm. that I picked up in both that I used to help the other and I still do that. So I like to look at myself as kind of a bridge between the two worlds. But it was um, I'm sorry, hold on. Like I said, I live in the hood.
2: So <laughs> <No> problem. <laughs> <laughs> like I said,
7: it is um it it's interesting to be able to do that. To take you know, there is a principle, there's something we learned in um Judaism. Kogi Sayla all Israel for each other all the time. And could you imagine what the black community would be like if that's what we were taught? If that's what our parents Mm. taught us, if that was a principle that was taught in the black community, like we are always there. We're all there for each other all the time. Black people needed it, but were never taught that. Jews didn't need it as much as black people, but they were taught that. And so Mm. it's kind of like applying those kind of principles to the black community. It helps me see our struggles a little bit different Mm -hmm. from the way that everybody else sees
2: them. Mm. Yeah, but when you think about, you know, that that we're there for each other all the time, that's something, you know, when we had our own communities before integration, we were there for each other all the time because we were each other's community um, as opposed to, you know, being strangers. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's sort of like, Coming back, you know, to it, it is very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 very
7: much, very much so. And and it's kind of like I don't feel like everything needs to be outsourced to somebody else. Like you know, it is very important that we teach our kids what they need to know. I mean, I went to a Jewish day school. I never had a black teacher, but I didn't have an identity crisis either, because when Mm -hmm. I got home every day, I had a black family and a black community and a black support system. I didn't have any problems with who Tamara was, who she was supposed to be, or what she was supposed to look like. I always knew. And sometimes we don't pour as much into our children as we should, and we let the schools do it. But what are schools really pouring into our children? What are public schools really pouring into our children? So some things we have to take upon ourselves to educate our own kids about these things. hmm and right, that's right. kind of what we try to do on that block. It's kind of restoring order. It's restoring the traditional structure. You know, there's there's a, these are adults. Adults deal with things as adults deal with them. I don't care if you are a 15-year-old with a gun. You're still just a kid with a gun. And I'm still the adult here. And I'm not going to let your gun turn me into your peer or your equal because I'm not. You're 15. I'm sorry. and And that's where we're at. We tend to look at our kids through the same lenses that other people from outside of our community looks at them. And you're afraid of them, but I'm not. Because I gave birth to two kids that look like this. My nieces and nephews look like this. My cousins look like this. So I'm not not afraid of them. So we can't let outsiders tell us that we need to be afraid of our kids, so afraid of our children that we're going to let them run wild on the street because they might kill us for telling them to pull their pants up. And I'm scared and I don't want that to happen. It's another world that we live in now. That that would have been unheard of when I was growing up. Adults weren't scared of no kids when I was growing up. Wish they were, but they weren't ever.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know if, because I, ne- I never thought about Hitting my my mother or father, I mean, you know, when I no. when I grew taller than my parents, I never thought about sure, I didn't think about that hurting them. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, like no, I was still. They're still my mother. They're still my father, and they get all the respect. I might not agree with them, but I would never right. disrespect them, ever. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. And it's it's kind of a,
7: a a walk it off, and that's why you know when we first went our first summer out there, people were mm-hmm. like they're gonna get killed. Like, it was mm-hmm. a pool, like, how many days do you think it's going to be before one of these women gets shot out there? What, are they crazy? And I just did not want to believe that every mother, a grandmother, a aunt, somebody tried to raise these kids. Just like I tried to raise my kids the best I could, give other mm-hmm. black women the benefit of the doubt. We have to look at these kids as if somebody tried to love them, too. Somebody tried to raise them, too. Now, is that the case all the time? No, it's not. But i rather believe it is the case until you show me that it's not. And now, you know, so many of our kids came up in the system and, you know, they, they have foster parents. They've never, they don't know how to be anybody's children because they've never had parents. Mm-hmm. So there are all of these roles that you have to step into. And sometimes you got to teach a kid how to be a kid. And how do you teach a kid how to be a kid? By being an adult. And this is what I do. This is my role, and it's very clearly defined. That's what you do, so I'm gonna help you fall in line, and it's like we don't put enough effort into reestablishing that level of order in our communities anymore
2: mhm, right yeah, yeah, yeah i was um when I was watching the film last week i was I was taking notes, and I was um just looking through some of my notes um and and how you um You you say often in the film that, you know, that um, you're really just someone's mother. Um, And you also say that um, it's not about bad guys. It's about bad situations. And um, and so you're not blaming, you know, the children for how they've been socialized because, you know, we we see the police coming through harassing kids. And if you weren't there Mm -hmm. to challenge them, they will be taking these children away, you know, like they take yeah. away your Um and you know you're trying to get him. I think it was a fine of some sort that he couldn't pay, so yeah. they wouldn't let him. hmm Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It. It.
7: You know, you have to. You have to take it all into account. And sometimes we tend. Sometimes even as black people, we don't recognize our level of privilege. We don't recognize that even we have a level of privilege as poor as we may be as as underprivileged as we may be some of us still have privilege that others don't just the ability that some of us have that many of us have to look at a piece of paper and read it and comprehend what it is saying that is a privilege compared to some people they just don't know how to do that they were never taught that so when people say oh you know they need to go get a job and they need to do this okay do you know how many things have to happen before you can get a job you have to first be able to read the job application, no? There are so many okay. things that we don't actually, we don't fight for, for our children. And so when they don't get it, we're wondering why they don't have it. They don't have it because we didn't get it for them. Because we didn't make the people who are supposed to give these things to them, we didn't, we didn't stand up and fight for them to get those things. So it's kind of like I have to look at the conditions that they live in. I have to take it all into account. So, yeah, if if this kid if this kid is quote unquote bad or it's something wrong with this kid, what kind of environment did he grow up in? Did she grow up in? Why are they like this? No kid is born that that way. Why are they like this? What kind of environment were they were they raised in? And perhaps we should have done something about the environment. And now. It's like, you know, we've been having this big discussion here in Chicago because of the shootings over the summer. Well, hey, this happens every year. But you want to talk about the shooters. We should have The shooters were just kids who didn't have a school to go to three years ago, but now they're shooters. Well, we could have turned their lives around by making sure you kept one of these high schools open in their neighborhood. Then, you know, you wouldn't have had a shooter today. But we don't think about that part. We don't think about the role that we play in it that the adults in our community play in it. It's our job to go out and make sure our kids get things they need to grow, be productive members of society. But we don't do it. And then when they don't have it, we blame them for not having it instead of ourselves for not getting it for them,
2: not providing it. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about, um, you know, when um, when you intercede, when these uh, little bitty Babies like four years old, three four years, years old. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the police have them for taking water, but they have them in cages. You tell us, um, yeah. you know, when before you were able to get them to release them to you, um, and just whole idea like how would a three year old, you know, like get the idea to take some water out of, you know, a vehicle? Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not. It's not something that's intuitive. It's something that is learned.
7: Mm -hmm. How did a Mm four-year-old
2: learn how to break in a car? A four-year-old. exactly.
7: Like, Mm -hmm. how? Like, I have shoes that are older than four years old. Like, you know, are you serious? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like, you know, we have to pay more attention to those kind of kids in our community. Because who do those kids grow up to be if we don't intervene now? Mm-hmm. if we don't do right. something to change the trajectory of their lives, who do they become? They become the shooters that we're complaining about in ten years.
2: mhm, yeah, yeah so um, so tell us about you know the the block like where is it in Chicago, and um you know it's you know since i mean we we as we were watching. You know, the film, we see it, you know, literally transformed, you know, and, and I like it when you, you tell this child, like, you know children don't sit down. <laughs> in the yeah, gym. you don't stop there with me.
5: Like, <laughs> I mean,
2: that's, that's how I grew up. You did not, you did
7: not come sit with your with your parents or your aunts and mm-hmm. uncles or something when they had company. Did nobody come here to see you older? Ain't nobody came to see you. What are you doing here? It just was, it was a definite, like, kids should be seen, not heard. And not seen all that often either, to tell you the truth. But that is how it used to be. Kids did not get into adult conversations. We didn't, we're not peers. We're not. We're not. So you won't sit here and listen to my conversation. You definitely won't have any input in it. So it is, it is just, you know, and sometimes, you know, on that block, in, in, in those kind of places, Sometimes mothers who are my age, older mothers, have to teach young mothers how to mother their kids. You can't tell mm-hmm. them, oh, no, you don't do this and you don't do that and you're doing this wrong. You just show them. You show them. Mm-hmm. You show them how to do it because maybe no one ever showed them how to do it. So it's not like I have to tell people, oh, no, you know, you shouldn't let your kids do that. It's just not allowed over here. Now are you going to ask me why it's not allowed? Because I'll explain it to you. And this is how you go about having an impact, having a a broader impact on the most people around the neighborhood. Can't be judgmental. You have to be there, you have to take it for what it is, and you have to change it in the ways that you can. That's what you have to do. And it's not telling people that they're living wrong or they're doing, you know, whatever they're doing the wrong way. All you do is live the way you live. And if somebody says, you know what, I like her. I like how she does things. I'm going to start doing things like that a little bit more.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: That's how. We, that's how you effectively parent a whole community through right. example. And so the the block is just it's just like every it's, just, it's blocks like this everywhere, all over America, in every major city is blocks like this. And I'm not even just going to say major cities. I'm going to say even when I go to Mississippi, when I go visit with my family in rural Mississippi. It is still black people, black people in the north and the south have a lot of the same ways and they think a lot of the same ways. Because the same oppression that the same oppression that they live with, we do. The same things that make them poor make us poor. The same conditions they live in, we live in. It's just we live up the country. That's it. We live in a different part of the United States. But we're still poor. We still our schools are still terrible. It's still high blood pressure and heart disease and everything here too.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: So it's kind of like basically wherever I go, I've met people like the people on my block all my life. I've known those kind of people all all of my life. I'm related to them. Those are my cousins and my aunts and uncles and my brothers and sisters. That's who they are. Because I see so much of my struggle in them and, and the block that I grew up on and the block that I sit on every day. And I'm sure anywhere we go, I think that's why this movie resonates with with so many people from, you know, major urban cities, because, Mm -hmm. hey, I recognize this block. I grew up on a block like this. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine Mm -hmm. what it would have been like if somebody would have came along and did something like this on the block that I grew up on?
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing.
7: It can be done
2: anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so wonderful, you know, to see, um, you know, you're there in inclement weather and also when the sun is shining, you know, you've got a tarp Mm -hmm. (laughs) with you out there. Um, Yeah. with the consistency of it, I think you mentioned that to be there, like people can can rely on it, um, you know, that, you all are going to be present, you know, you are going to be there. And then, you know, some of the other mothers, you know, your, your good friend, I think she's a school teacher as well. Yeah. And, um, Mm -hmm. Kendra, right. Right. And, and then, you know, you throw parties and you feed people and you have, um, you know, dinners, um, where you share your tradition, the, the, the one where you have the, the matzo ball,
7: the Mm -hmm.
2: Passover. Passover, right, right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it's just um really great. I really like it when the little girl is dancing and I don't know if that might have been the July fourth um event where you you, yeah. you um you say, Wow, she should um take dance lessons, you know, because she's really good and they have like hip hop ballet and I just like yeah. the way you're paying attention, like you're having a conversation with someone else but but you're paying attention and and you know, and giving encouragement and smiling and and you know, and helping children figure out well what's next. You know, because she might not have known about hip-hop ballet, That's but you did. all you
7: want to know
2: is what's next. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. our kids
7: are not presented with all of the options. You know, we tell them you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up, but yet we only present them with three or four options. You know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like it's it's up to every other kid can discover that for themselves. Our kids, we kind of steer them to what we feel like is the good job or honorable profession. And other people just don't don't really do that, and it, it's kind of like you know you might have a kid that can draw really, really well, and we'll tell him that that's a hobby, but he should get a real job, like he should maybe go drive the bus or and there's nothing wrong with that, but go do something else that's not a real job, but it is there are there are other people who make great livings being animators. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, you know, artists, d- 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 people make living doing that. We don't, we don't allow our kids to do that though. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't give them the freedom to do that. That's not a real job. That's not a serious job. And it is. Mm-hmm. If it was if it if it's what makes them happy. Yeah. We want them to do that because if you, if, it, if you're happy doing it, if you love doing this, you'll excel at it. And that's what we really want. hmm Right. Yeah. So I encourage those kids every day. We do something different on the block. Like, it you just never know. It can be a neurosurgeon, or one day it was circus camp, and it was you know teaching kids how to be clowns and do circus tricks, and whatever it is that we feel like, um, we'll expose kids to anything. Like, we you you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a you want to be an astronaut? If we can get an astronaut to come to the block and talk to kids about being astronauts, yep, you can come. We mm-hmm. welcome it all. We, we welcome anybody. We welcome all of that, all of these different different people from different all different walks of life, people from outside of that bubble, from the bubble that neighborhoods like this are sometimes in.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's want really kids great. We
7: know there's another world out there past mm-hmm. this, this four blocks. Yeah.
2: Right, yeah, yeah, and then you also tell her that she's a pretty girl, you know, a pretty black girl, yeah. and that's really nice too, yeah. yeah, really, really positive, I mean, you know, there is discipline, there are consequences when, you know, children, um, you know, don't, um, you know, follow the rules, um, and I don't remember exactly. They can't exactly. come back that day, they can't right, come back, right like,
7: the, you, you have to sit a day out, you don't get to be here,
2: mm-hmm. you don't get to be here, mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted you to t- tell us a little bit about, you know, your backstory 'cause we don't we don't get much of that. Um, I mean I, I really like the part of the um of the film when you go to um is it uh you go down south, is it South Carolina? Oh North Carolina oh, oh, south Charlotte. South Carolina. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I'm in I'm in uh, North Carolina, yeah. Right, right, and and that's I love that. I love when you sing. You have such a beautiful voice, and oh, you know, thank you. like when you're when when you're there at you know your ancestors' grave, that is such yeah. a beautiful moment. Yeah. And you know, and seeing your mother. So I just wanted you to tell us a little bit about yourself, and we we meet your son, who I yeah, thought you said you were mother. You had a little kid. Was like you got a grown person. <laughs> well,
7: I don't have any little kids, and and he right. has a sister that's older than him. So yeah, oh, they really? I have people. <laughs> yes, I have. Pe- I know voters. <laughs> that's what I have. Yes, yeah, you know, voters. I like that.
2: <laughs> yeah,
7: yep. That's what I have. I, I mean, like they're both pretty involved in everything that I do, though. Like I love mm-hmm. that they feel like by them being Jewish too, like what we do is it's not just me um, doing Tikkun Olam and me, you know, doing my duty as a Jew. It's them too. Because Mm -hmm. they are responsible for their own spiritual well-being, for their own relationship with God. They're responsible for that at this age. So they take it very seriously. So we kind of do what we do for the same reasons. And I'm just glad that I don't have to necessarily worry about um, what they're doing as much as other parents might have to worry about what their kids are up to or what they, you know, have going on. Because my kids are pretty much always around. I mean, and that's a good and bad thing at the same time. <laughs> you know how that
5: goes. So, I mean,
7: um, yeah, I, 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 I just have those two kids. And um, my mom is really active in the organization as well. And I basically I sold real estate until I started masks. And the thing was, um, I always wanted to have a job where I could be with my children where I could mm-hmm. be the classroom mom um, because I understood they went to the same Jewish Day school that I went to. And the thing about it was, um, it was difficult for me sometimes understanding things. And I, I wanted to be I wanted to be able to be there for them in a way that my mother couldn't because she has work. And so I wanted to be able to be there when there were things that were happening in school that were, you know, confusing. Or they needed help or they, you know, just needed somebody to talk to about things that might have been going on who understood the dynamics of being in a situation like that. And I wanted to make sure I was going to be that mother. So um, me and my kids always had a really close relationship. Like, you know, we're, we'll talk about everything and anything. And I always wanted them to feel like we could do that. And when they got to be teenagers, it, it you know, they got driver's license and stuff like that. It's like, wait a minute, I don't know, you know, I need to know your friends. I need to know where you're going. Because when I was mm-hmm. driving you around, I knew all of these things, but I'm not anymore. And I'm not a I'm not a sit sit back and wait on it to come to you kind of mother.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: So I couldn't sit back and wait on things to happen and just, just hope that, you know, I gave you all the necessary tools that you needed to be a responsible adult. I I, I gave you those things, but did every other parent give their kids those things? Did every other parent teach their children in their homes what I taught you in hours? And since I didn't necessarily trust that because I'm seeing these numbers go up, up, and up on the news, and now I'm going to send my kids out into that world, I had to do something to understand what was going on. Because being Jewish, it kind of teaches you there's always a plan. You can fix anything. Anything can be fixed. Even, I mean, the biggest of problems can be remedied some kind of way. And so if I look at something long enough, I think about it long enough, I'll figure it out. So the thing was, I couldn't, um, it was, you know, kids getting killed, young people getting killed. Young girls the same age as my daughter getting killed. Young boys the same age as my son getting killed. And then moms my age started getting killed. Okay, so now we have mm-hmm. a problem. Now we have to figure out what's going on out here. So it took me a minute of really deep thought to come up with, you know, how we get to that corner, to where when, the point where we actually arrive at the corner. But mm-hmm. I was determined to do something to figure this out because I had to save my kids. Because if I don't save my kids, who's going to save them? Nothing right. else was working.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: So that's what it kind of, that's, that's how this all came to be for me. And so, like, my life, just the way I lived my life, I, I grew up in a house with my whole family, with my aunts, with my uncle, with my grandmother, with my cousins. It was always somebody there watching. It was always supervision. And Mm it was always, there were all of these different women with all of these different personalities and everybody went about solving problems their own way, but they solved the problem every time. Mm -hmm. So the thing was, I employed just a lot of that, just a lot of those ideas and a lot of those strategies that they used, And this is what I came up with. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like that's pretty much like my background. It's like, it's,
2: Nothing really exciting, just just a mom. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think I think it takes some courage because there are a lot of moms that have joined you. Um, but mm-hmm. first, you know, you had to go sit there <laughs> for the other moms yeah. to join you. So you know that took some courage. And and I was just thinking, you know, how how you say in the film that you know this is a crack, you know. Um, you know, that you're repairing. Yeah. It's not a problem. And and you do acknowledge, you know, that people are afraid. Um and uh and then and then later on, you know, when you go to um I don't know, it's a synagogue I believe, um, the Ethiopian mm-hmm. uh Hebrew Association and Yeah, my temple mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your temple, right, thank you. And and you uh you mentioned that it's, that the the Torah is a five thousand year old book and it's a guidebook for living and then um you mentioned, I get thee out of an old place, not about, so it's not about where you're from, it's about what people do. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about my, my notes that I took here. It is
7: is my favorite portion of
2: the Bible of the Mm -hmm.
7: Torah. And Mm -hmm. it is, it is about when Abraham leaves his father's house. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's not just leaving your father's house it's leaving the ideas when my uncle became a Jew before I was born, the first thing the first thing that that people noticed about him he wasn't eating the same food. so my grandmother took it really personally that he wouldn't eat him he wouldn't eat mm-hmm. greens with 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 fat back in it he wouldn't eat what he used to eat. That was the first obvious change. And normally with Jews of African descent or black Jews, that's the first thing that people notice. That's the first thing that makes you different is I can't eat that. And it's like, what do you mean you can't eat it? It's not kosher. And so the thing is, I can, I can be amongst you, but I can't do what you do while I'm here. So it is, it's about your thinking. It's about how your thoughts transform. You can't think the way that they used to think. You can't think the way that everybody else thinks. You have to evolve or you have to transform. You have to do new things and you have to be a new way, a different way. You have to respond to life differently. You have to live life differently. And it takes, you don't want, you don't want your family to feel as if you're rejecting them or black people to feel like you're rejecting them. You're not. You're just re- you're you're rejecting old aspects that no longer of 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 your culture that no longer work for you. That don't work for the new you. And so it is about new ideas. It is about oh no, I'm not gonna have a march or a rally, I'm gonna go sit on this corner and cook these kids some dinner. You have to have new ideas. It always has to be and I mean generally like I tell people all the time, like mass slogan should be Nobody's ever done this before. Like, don't try this at home. Nobody's ever done it before. Because the thing is, I look at what everybody have done, everything, everything that people have done. I look at what works and what doesn't work. And I don't do those things again. I will somehow incorporate a few of the things that have worked into the new thing, whatever the new thing is that I'm trying. But it can't ever be anything like what we've seen because this is where we are. The results, what did did the results yield? It didn't yield this dramatic change that we wanted to see. So, no, we can't do that thing again. Mm -hmm. No matter how well we think we do it, it's still the same thing that other people have done before, and it failed. So we have to do something different. You have to do something a bit brave. You have to do something kind of crazy. That's all you can do. That's how you make real difference, real change. People have to think you're crazy. That's how it works. (laughs) But that's that's what you have to do. It has to be Mm -hmm. something that's outside of the box. It has to be something ambitious. It has to be something like that, or you aren't going to get anywhere. And so going to sit on a corner and building a school on that corner out of shipping containers, it is crazy. It is. It's crazy. But it's going to work. But it's going to work. It's already starting
2: to work. So so you have shipping containers now. Uh, on the site Yes yeah, oh. four.
7: And they are classrooms mm-hmm. Yeah So we are calling it uh, An, uh, an African American Educational renaissance That's what we're trying to do We mm-hmm. are bringing back the whole Concept of one room schoolhouse You know okay. HBCUs Were born in those I mean some okay. of the, the greatest black thinkers Came out of one room schoolhouses so why can't we do that again? Why do we need mm-hmm. someone to do this for us? Why can't we do this ourselves? So right. it's a bit more localized to get more young people to come to school. It's kind of like you won't go to school, we'll bring school to you. So they're like mm-hmm. pop-up school. So That's Chicago right. is it has, it's a fool on a couple things, vacant lots and violence. So if you give me vacant lots, we build a school there. You don't have as much violence anymore cuz those kids are going to school now. And they actually have prospects and things to look forward to and you know lives that they are once again excited about living.
2: Mhm. Ah, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you um I think in the film um uh we learned that they that you know um that your uh, organization is um in five cities now. And you talk about, you know, community building and um and you also talk about because we we you know, the sort of the idea of a patriarchy and how you can only go so far in the leadership, you know, um in mm-hmm. in the temple. Uh and you used I think I'm I think I, these are your words, but I'm not sure because I didn't put them your name next to them, but um I think you said you learned your faith here there's a level of connection to God on the block. And and I was telling Brad, you know, Rothschild the director, that, you know, you are totally, you know, having church, you know, wrong wrong religion. But you know what I mean? Right there on the block, you know, at the in the meals, you know, as you're sitting in your chair, you know, talking, you know, chopping it up with the other adults, you know, as the children eat and play. You know, that you know, you live in your faith. Literally. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way
7: that it should be done. I think, you know, religion doesn't mean much in behind four walls. It, mm-hmm. It's not about how well Christians treat other Christians or Jews treat other Jews or Muslims treat other Muslims. No, it's about how your faith, what your faith, call, how, how your faith motivates you to impact the world. What, what impact does your faith have on the world when you let it roam free you put it outside on a corner in a tent what does your faith what kind of impact does it have on the world around you because it doesn't really mean anything if we both been taught the same thing and we're we're behind these four walls together we're a temple or we're in the mosque or we're a church and you know everybody is really nice to everybody there it doesn't mean much if when you go out into the world you aren't you you don't bring that into the world with you It it just, it doesn't mean much. Right. So for me, it is a, it is a, we learn about the way that we should be toward mankind and toward God's people. And we don't, we don't necessarily treat everybody like they're God's people though. Not when we're, when when we, when we leave out of our respective places of worship, we don't. And it's kind of like we have to allow God to be God everywhere. Not just in those four walls. God has to be God everywhere.
5: Yeah, and so when I'm on that corner,
7: it, yeah, it is a deeply spiritual thing for me that we do out there. Mm-hmm. Because after all, this is what God, this is what we're commanded to do. You know, you're taking care of the poor and the widow and the fatherless and the and the least amongst us. You're taking care of all of those people. Isn't that what, what you're asked to do? What, what that's what you're commanded to do. So yeah, that's that's. I, I mean, I love that. I get to create opportunities where we can do that every day, and it, it feels good. It, I mean, you'll never find a softer pillow than you do after a long day of of being on a block with kids and feeding them and mothering. You just you know, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Wow. Um, I was wondering if you could give give your website to our audience and I wanna let them know that um the film They Ain't Ready For Me uh directed by Brad Rothschild uh recent film, twenty twenty, is gonna be a, have an online screening with a Q and A and uh tomorrow is gonna to be uh man, how do you pronounce your last name tomorrow Manasa Manasa Manasseh. Uh, mm-hmm. Um yeah, an African American rabbinical student um you are going to be in conversation with um the uh uh, Il- uh Ilana uh, Kaufman the director of Jews of Color uh Field Building Initiative and so that's going to happen after the screening which is Saturday this sat is it this Saturday yeah this yeah. Saturday yep, July Saturday. 18th at 12, 12 noon Pacific time so it's going to be online you can go to the um san francisco jewish film festival website to get your tickets so that should be really fun um so anyway yeah give your website and information how people can find out
7: more about Um, you um, on the or you can always follow us on uh, facebook mothers against census killing chicago and i I hear that we're on instagram and twitter as well i just don't know those handles because i'm old so there (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah yeah and um, I wanted us to go back you know to charlotte um in in conclusion um and and I want you to talk you know about about your grandfather and about communing with the ancestors and and you you write about you speak about blood crying out from the earth and and uh Robeson county south carolina and uh and you talk about how the past you know, can hurt the future and you wonder about, you know, black children growing up in in this area and how how, you know, you can be crushed, you know, before that's
7: why the you monuments know, get are coming to down now.
2: That's yeah, why we're exactly. seeing so
7: many of the monuments being being mm-hmm. torn down now because this mm-hmm. was three years ago. Why weren't we taking them down then? And I'm saying it's not about the past. It's about the future. Like in the movie mm-hmm. when I talk about how we got out of Egypt, but what if we never left? So there are right. monuments to all of these Egyptians all around, even though they enslaved mm-hmm. us. What do you think that does to the future? It keeps them enslaved. It keeps, mm-hmm. it keeps them. They always will have the idea of the hierarchy. They will always understand that they will never be the people who are immortalized in bronze and in stone in those sculptures, in those monuments. But the people who enslaved them would always be. There's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And, like, my grandmother, um, she passed away when I was 10, and my grandmother was, I mean, it's not a day that goes by that I don't think of something that my grandmother said or did. And, honestly, I don't think that I would even be able to – math wouldn't exist if it wasn't for my grandmother, if it wasn't for the way that my grandmother raised her daughters and the way that her daughters raised her grandkids. It just – it wouldn't even exist. I wouldn't even know how to do it because it had to come from somewhere. And so um, my grandmother talked a great deal about North Carolina, about Robeson County, because she was actually given up for adoption at that church at that funeral, at that church that I talk about in the movie. And she knew her family because she was given to a great aunt and she knew her family, but she didn't really have much of a relationship with them. And so um, my mother is it, kind of like, you know, I felt like my grandmother always wanted us to reconnect with her people to find not her people, our people. And so it was so important for me to do that for my mother for her 70th birthday because she had outlived everyone in our family. And so we went there. And I've been doing genealogy. Black genealogy is like my my passion. I I love it more yeah, than I doing love anything, it too. Yeah, anything. Yeah, anything that I it, so for about 25 years I've been doing mm-hmm. my family tree. So, like, nice. on my father's side and on part of my grandfather's side on my mother's side, we can go back to the boats. So we can go back eight or nine oh, generations. Oh, real? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hot. So where did you so, your family year, come in? Um, they came in. My father's family actually came in through the port in Louisiana, down by Vicksburg. They were, oh. this was after the slave trade was outlawed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were illegal. Mm-hmm. They were illegally bought here. And my grandmother's people, they came in through a port in in South Carolina, through Charleston, I believe. Mm. But the thing is, it's kind of like the further we go back, the more empowered we are, the more empowering it is for us. And... The thing is like right now, like I told people when the riots were happening last month, some people are only fifty years mad. Some people are only a hundred years mad. Some people are two hundred years mad. But when you're three hundred years mad, when you know your history, and it's not just black history. It's not just saying slavery was bad. When you know your black history, the way that your what was happening with as America was growing, what was happening with your family, how was your family helping to build America. How was your family? You know what I'm saying? Your enslaved ancestors, how were they put to work to building somebody else's country? In all of these generations, in all of these eras, when all of this American history was happening, your family was happening too. And when you know the story, when you know why my mother has locks and my mother's hair wouldn't lock because she had too much Euro in her Afro, when you know how it got there, how that happened Mm -hmm. to her, Why you're like that, why your kids are three shades lighter than you are, when you understand why these things happen, it does. It creates a different kind of black person. It creates a different kind of person altogether because you're not just a result of, of slavery. You're a result of a lot of other situations and a lot of other circumstances and people. And you can name names and you know stories and everything else. And it's not just your anger. It's all of their anger. It is the family heirloom of, of black anger in this country that we have. We didn't have nothing else to pass down, so that's what we gay. And it's like when you don't know that, you will be somebody who's not so upset about what, what kind of state we're living in right now. And so it's, not, it's bad, but not that bad. But when you understand that it is something a lot bigger than that and it's very personal and it becomes very personal to you, it changes how you fight. It change, it changes everything. It changes how you go about looking at everything, how you see yourself.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: So me going back to South Carolina and North Carolina, it it just gave me deeper roots. It gave me another piece of myself that I didn't have before then, and it made me stronger. So like I recommend, we all do it. I think I think that's the best thing we can all do. We
2: all have to go back at some point. In order to move forward we have to go back. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, um, about, you know, the Vicksburg um port in uh I uh Mississippi. yesterday uh-huh. um, oh, Mississippi, right, right. That was um I'm trying to think, uh um Bea Bea Richards was born in Vicksburg and, and she uh she had her centennial um birthday yesterday she would have been 100 and she's the uh, actress activist that portrayed um baby uh, yeah i know okay yeah Yeah. a lot of people don't know her (laughs) i'm I'm glad you do know who she is i know all of the fabulous old school black actresses yes that's that's so wonderful that's so refreshing (laughs) to hear you know and and when you were um when you were singing um that song I think I was trying to like jot down some of the lyrics some of the what you were saying oh I wish you uh, love my soul yeah I wish you love my soul looks back and wonders I'm not a oh how I good. got over how yeah, I got over my, I yes got, yeah how I got yes. over so, with Mahalia Jackson
7: and Aretha Franklin they did those I mean it's it's it is serious your soul really does black people in this country It Mm -hmm. really, just think about all of the stuff that we've been through. How did we get through it? And now, you know, like I ask the question all the time now, most Mm -hmm. of us can't get through Thursday without drugs or alcohol or some sort of Mm -hmm. anesthesia. We got through slavery without those things. Slavery. Yeah. Wow. How did we do that? We got through Mm -hmm. it with our ancestors. Once again, we had to go back to go forward. We had to call right. on the ancestors to come and fortify us with their strength because we wouldn't have got mm-hmm. through that on our own. That's right. I right. say that's right. And like you are, wow. you were just talking to a young man with the the drummer before me.
5: Yes. Jess,
7: we, we did a drum circle here in Chicago and we're trying to coordinate them all over the country. Every time mm. we, we were going to, we did the first one, the weekend that um, the president was speaking in Tulsa and, the thing is, it's time to call on ancestors now. This is above us. This is out of our hands. We have allies. We have friends. We've called each other. It's time to call on the ancestors to come and deal with this. And the only way you can summon them up, the drum transcends religion. It, it transcends all of that. It speaks to the African in all of us, to something that's bigger than all of us. And so we're going to be doing these drum circles once a month. We're trying to put together mm. a major one, the day before Election Day, because we need to oh. call the ancestors in for this.
2: Oh, that's, it's, let's it's, definitely it's like talk about warfare.
7: that. About, yeah, yes, yeah. Spiritual warfare. We need to call mm-hmm. the ancestors. and You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like when, when you look at how black people during slavery, they used to ring and shout. And you would have all of these people on a plantation who spoke different languages. They had different guys. And the ring shouts would take so long because everybody understood the rhythm. But we might not have understood the same language, but we all understood the beat, the drums, right. the instruments, the makeshift instruments that we had to play when they took the drum from us because they understood it was so powerful that we communicate right. using it. So you took it. But now we're dancing and right. we're singing and we're humming and we're... because. The spirit was the same. The language may have been different, but the intent was the exact same. And just as we are all different now, we are all different religions. We come from all different backgrounds. The intent is still the same, though. We're still Africans.
5: Mm -hmm. And
7: we still have the ability to tap into that. We just don't use it. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
7: it's kind of like, I think it's time for us to start. They thought we didn't know how to do that no more. Oh no. We need to start shouting yeah. again. We need to start playing drums together. And can you imagine mm-hmm. how powerful it would be to have drummers all over this country playing the drums at the same yeah. time?
5: And
2: and, and everybody exactly. is calling on the ancestors
7: at once? Oh yeah,
2: come on. Man. Yeah. Ooh. And you, and we um actually I'm co founder of an organization, um, it's called the International Coalition for the commemoration of African Ancestors of the Middle Passage and on yes. June. I think it was June 13th, if that was the second Saturday, we did an international libations and prayers, and we had people pouring libations from different parts of the country and praying different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we had a four-hour um, taped portion of the program. I can send you the link to that, but definitely let's talk about,
6: you know, yes, when we want to do, do
2: it. Um this and is it's super important. Oh yeah. Totally. yeah this I is agree.
5: what
7: binds us. This is what binds us together. We let too many things separate us. Let's go yeah. back, back, back. Let's go back mm-hmm. to before we had whatever religion we have now. Let's go back. Let's go back to when we were just all people who just got off of a boat. Who just got shackled from unshackled with each other. We all just mm-hmm. came through the same way. Let's go back to that mm-hmm. experience.
2: Right, Let's go back right.
7: there. Yeah. That's, and, yeah. you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like this, this particular people wouldn't understand. You're expecting riots. You're expecting black people to march. You're expecting protests. You're not expecting millions of black folks playing drums. You ain't expecting mm-hmm. that. You're right. not expecting really that. Awesome. You don't even know
2: how to fight mm-hmm. that. <laughs> right. Well, Tamara, my, my grandchildren have just popped by to visit me. <laughs> oh, and they're going to do the same thing. Okay. So I, I, so I gotta um, go say hi before they leave. <laughs> go ahead, but please send me the link. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. That is such a great idea. And remember, last yeah, year those we those had the Day cool. of the Drum. But um, yeah, that'd yeah. be really super. The day mm-hmm. before Election Day. Let's let's coordinate this. Yes, send me the link, and we'll be talking soon. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much for this you know, for the conversation. Thanks for fitting me in your schedule, and congratulations on the the wonderful film so more people will know about the work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll speak again soon. Oh, certainly, certainly. You take good care. You too. All right, bye-bye. All right, peace and blessings. Bye-bye.